0: Welcome, Grace Community Church. How's everybody doing today? Oh, yeah, good. Everybody's awake. Uh, Did you like that last song? Boy, they just hit that thing out of the park. Well, some of the pastors are down at a family wedding down in Georgia, but here we have our own version of Georgia's weather, don't we? (laughs) Hope you're enjoying the heat. We're continuing our series in the book of Philippians with unshakable joy. You know, Philippians isn't really one of those books that, that has that kind of Christian cheer up or put on a happy face. It really goes into a lot of principles that can, can help us to look deeper on what it means and how to have that rejoicing in the Lord. Because life is not always easy or always happy. In fact, this series, we just don't learn about Philippians. We're learning a lot about Paul and the backstory that can impact this particular topic. Sometimes when I read scripture, I kind of try to discern what that tone is of the the writer, what his emotions are. And Paul is really such a driven guy for Christ. But here is, we're going to look at chapter 3 today. I sense that chapter 3 has a personal tone. I think here Paul is really saying it like this. Do this. I do this, and we can do this through Christ. So, chapter three is about his personal story, his testimony, his new way of doing things. Today, we're gonna really focus on looking at our past. And you may say, oh no, or oh boy, I don't wanna go back there. But all of us have a past, and we're all making a past. And some of us wanna forget our past. Some of us maybe want to frame our past. That's real easy to want to do. But one of the biggest reasons that people don't have the joy in their life that they should is because of yesterday. They can't forget. They can't forgive. They don't know how to move forward or to let something go. They live in the past, either with the baggage or with the bragging. And so Paul in chapter 3 is going to invite us to look at his past, to show how he presently processes the past. So look with me in Philippians chapter 3. First thing we're going to look at is that he warns us about some threats to our joy. Look at verse 1. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me. And it is a safeguard for you. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God. And glory in Christ Jesus. And put no confidence in the flesh. Reading that, I see two different threats. The first one is an external threat. It's this beware of false teachers. Because listening, sitting under false teachers, they won't cultivate the unshakable type of joy that Paul is speaking about. They won't do that because if they have Christ wrong, if they have distorted him, if they don't teach the things about his Character and his deeds properly, they're going to distort him. And they're going to add works to him. And what kind of results out of that is that people have confidence in themselves, that they're part of the process. And Christian joy has its roots in understanding who Jesus really is in his glory, in his worthy position, ...and his character and his deeds. So he's saying, beware of them. The second threat... ...is an internal threat. He's basically saying, beware of you. And this is where Paul focuses. He's basically saying this. Your view of you... ...can be destructive. And what Paul does is he... ...unfolds a majorly impressive past... ...about himself yet with some specific actions of things that he can't easily forget. Look at verse 4. He says, Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. In other words, if anyone could brag, I could brag. Who I was and what I did. And what he means here when he says the word flesh... It's referring to his identity, to his deeds, to his heritage. But he's not bragging here when he's telling this. He's using his story to teach about joy. And as he's expressed here in this opening, that he loves to do that. He doesn't mind at all to share it again because he he knows it's helpful for him to do so. In verse 5 and 6, he weighs in on his past by sharing a list. He begins listing some things here that he couldn't control himself. He starts with his birth. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel. A birthplace, a nationality, and a race, obviously, we know are a huge part of one's identity. They also express opportunities or lack of opportunity. So he had an impressive past, impressive Heritage, especially to the Jews. He mentions circumcision, which is the most essential identifying right in Judaism at birth. Mentioning here about nationality, but he actually was born in Asia Minor, in Tarsus, to Jewish parents. The homeland was occupied by Rome at that time. So basically, this allowed him to be completely, fully Jewish and yet a Roman citizen, as Kevin has been sharing in a lot of the backstory. But the first thing that Paul puts on this list are the things that he couldn't control about his past. He goes on, talks about his roots in the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was a prominent tribe. But through the years, intermarriage had allowed the lines to be blurred. But what he's bringing up is that he is a pure-bred Benjaminite. And so birth roots, though they're a part of our identity, they're a part of heritage. And though his was culturally impressive, he didn't control those things about himself. He also, in this list, lists some of the things that he could control about himself. He did control his work. And though he was a pure Jew, in a sense, not all Jews work hard at being Jews. Just like not all Americans work hard at being American. And so he makes this, says this phrase here, Hebrew of Hebrews, which means he made choices to learn the language and the traditions and the customs of his ancestors. And he studied in Jerusalem under one of the best. So, in other words, he's educated, he's dedicated, he's disciplined. That little phrase, Hebrew of Hebrews, is saying that he made many choices. To work hard. He goes on to say, As to the law of Pharisee. In Acts chapter 26, he says, I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion. Pharisees were, were separated to study. They were the highest level in devout legalistic Judaism. When he's referring to the law here, he's talking about the Old Testament and all the traditions that went, went along with that. So when it came to effort or work, Paul was off the charts. He goes on to say, as to zeal or passion, he was a persecutor of the church. He didn't leave this part out of his story. He had zeal, which was a high religious virtue. It's kind of like that two-sided coin. On one side is love, on the other side is hate So it's like this. I love God so much that I hate anything that opposes him. And it's that kind of misguided love that led him to persecute the church. In fact, Acts, we'll look at a few examples of this in the book of Acts chapter 8. It says, Paul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, dragging off men and women. And he would put them in prison. So in other words, he chose to work a plan and to go after them, which scattered the church. In Acts chapter 9, it says, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Acts 26, he says, So then I, Paul thought to myself that I had to do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme. And being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. Wow. This is not a half-hearted man. When it comes to what Paul did, especially this chapter of his past, his past was full of raging opposition against Christ in the name of God. And this was a part of his past that he did control. He made many conscious decisions. This was his work. And then lastly, he mentions the result that he wanted to be said of the decisions that he made. He wanted to hear that word blameless. Blameless here means integrity or excellence, or proficiency. He goes on to say, as to the righteousness which is of the law, found blameless. In other words, Paul, being a Jew, he knew that he did sin. But what he was working on, what he wanted the result to be, was that he would pursue a path that God would see him as blameless. He also pursued a path that others would see him as blameless. And he also pursued a path that he would see himself as blameless, proud of his heritage, proud of the hard work. So he would go on to say, if anyone could have confidence in the flesh, I the more." So Paul here has summarized his past for us before Christ. Now I'm sure you've heard of Pixar. Anybody heard of Pixar before? Right? Oh, you haven't. Do we need to show a Pixar film this morning? Live it up. Toy Story? You've heard of Toy Story, right? Up, all those good, good stories. Pixar has captured that storytelling formula. They didn't originate. It's been around for a long time, and you know it. We use it here, actually, in our 401 to help believers learn to tell their story. And so it goes like this. Once upon a time... You introduce the characters, of course, fix the story in time. And every day, this is how things were. Until one day, the character is thrown off balance, forcing them to do or to change or attain something. That's the inciting incident. That's the pivotal event in the story. And now, because of that inciting incident, these things go on. And then ever since that day, This is who I am. That's the simple formula to constructing a story. Just to give an example, Wizard of Oz. Have you seen Wizard of Oz? Is this an older crowd here? (laughs) You remember Wizard of Oz? When that would come on, we would like everybody would leave and go in the house. Something the young people here have no clue. Right? You had three channels back then. You remember? Once a year it was shown. No Netflix, so forth. So when Wizard of Oz would come on, we'd all just go in and see it. And but it had these elements. Once upon a time, there was Dorothy. There was Kansas. There was a farm. And every day, she felt ignored and unloved, and she dreamt of going over a rainbow. That's just how things were. Until one day, there was a pivotal event. Can you tell me what it is? A tornado, tornado, yeah. And that changed everything. Everything went from black and white to color. (laughs) You remember that? (laughs) And now, because of this, begins a journey. She has to fulfill objectives to get home. She has to see a wizard, and she has to encounter these freaky monkeys, right? (laughs) And, And she, of course, meets the wizard, and then he tells her that she has to kill the wicked witch and to bring a broomstick. But all these tasks would help her. And then ever since, what she learned, what others in the story learned, and what we learned watching at home was what she was looking for was always within her Kansas. So Paul beats Pixar and beats Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz in this storytelling formula, for he shares it like this. Once upon a time, I was born and I was raised with prestige, and every day I worked hard producing and achieving and getting results, blameless results on every level with God and with others and myself. That was his past. Until one day, an inciting incident happened, a big life-changing incident. He met Christ and is told in dramatic fashion in Acts chapter 9 with a blinding light and a voice Verse 4 says, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And because of that, he writes later in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. And ever since, his life has changed. And he loves to tell the story. Years later, as he's doing here in, in Philippians 3, there's no trouble for him because he knows it's for good. And forever since, he's saying, my past is not my identity, it's my story. It's not my confidence. It's not my chain. I'm new in Christ. So Paul explains that since Christ... He processes his past of both pride and pain. Verse 7, he says this But whatever things were gained, my past view, to me, those things I have counted as lost, my present view, for the sake of Christ. This is what I do to deal with the past. And I'm going to give you six quick things. Because of that incident that he had. He accepted help. Going back to the story, that Damascus Road experience really shook him up. In fact, Christ confronted him with why. He hears this voice. He recognizes enough that it's a deity as he says, Lord. But when the voice answers him and says, I am Jesus, I'm sure Paul thought that he was a dead man. And so this shook them up. You know, coming to Christ doesn't involve lights and audible voices. And some people do have an experience where it is a real big impact to their life, and they have a lot of changes that go on and go on quickly. But most just gradually understand the gospel. But one thing that's common, no matter what your experience is like, one thing is common, There are two things that are common, is that salvation is always through Christ. It's the gospel confronting us that we've gone our way long enough. Now we need to come with him. And then the other common thing is our response. Our response is, what do you want me to do? In other words, receiving, accepting, obeying, humbly saying, yes, Lord. In Paul's case, that first step after this incident was the help that God already worked out for him. God went to Ananias, who when he was told that he would be receiving Paul, he said, oh no, he starts to freak out about this. And yet God comforts him and says, it's okay. He is going to need your help. He was three days blind, wouldn't eat or drink. And I imagine trying to process everything that happened, it was like this, oh no, if Christ is the one, then everything about my life was wrong, was off base. Plus, he's assigning me to the Gentiles. And if you know anything about Pharisees, they did not like the Gentiles. So when one first comes to Christ, to process that, to really learn what it means to follow him, it's going to require for us to have some help. There's joy. The guilt can be lifted. But even Jesus says, if you want to be my disciples, pick up your cross. So it doesn't always start off easy. There are relationship issues. There are habits to deal with. There are thoughts. There's a lot to process. And that's why God has arranged for believers to have things like the church. For us to have exposure and opportunity for bible study for us to get involved in groups for us maybe to seek some personal counsel out or to get to know another believer that can help you who knows what you've gone through and can start that help so he got help first ever since the second thing he began accounting process that gains from now on would be considered losses He had to count his race, his roots, his nationality. He had to look at all that differently. It's like this. Now he had to look at and say, if my race doesn't matter to God, then nobody's race matters to God. I will serve you. I will go. And that was crucial to the assignment that God had for him. He also had to count his work different. If before Christ all my efforts opposed him, even if I didn't realize that they did, Yet he still saved me, then I should never judge anyone else who opposes God or me, because that's where I was. He also looked at counting his results different. I will no longer count or seek righteousness through me or the approval of others, I will count them as lost. My righteousness will only come through Christ. Now, I want to make sure we understand something here. His counting things as loss was not counting himself as loss. And this is a critical principle. It didn't mean, okay, I guess I'll start beating myself up. We do. We've made mistakes or we're just wrong, whether we intended to or not. We end up beating ourselves up. I bet it was hard for him. As I just read those passages in Acts, it says that he was pursuing men and women. We just see the generalness of that. But he had their names. If he went off into a foreign city, he knew exactly who he was looking at. He had seen them. He had looked in their eyes. Those were personal memories that he had to try to process and to forget. So he counts his past as lost. He looks at his past and he says, it's a grace story. If Christ saved me after what I have done to him, I must have value or worth to God, no matter what the past was. In fact, that's one of the neat things about the Bible, it's full of grace stories. It's full of stories of people who had made mistakes like David, or people that had injustice done to them like Joseph, and it shows us their value to God. So he counts his gain and his failures as loss, no matter what he controlled and no matter what he didn't control. Paul's story also will show us how far grace will reach as we see here that the key opposer to Christianity became a key spokesperson for it. He said in other places that he's the least of the the apostles because He persecuted the church. When you look at that phrase, least of the apostle, the word least is really revealing his humility. But the word apostle is him understanding what God has called him to do and the value he has to God. And so he's very humbled to be an apostle. He cultivates humility instead of self-pity. His past didn't freeze him, in other words. It freed him because he counted it loss to gain Christ. And then thirdly, and ever since, he began a comparing process so he could make his present a better past later. If you look, look with me in verse 8, he says, more than that, I count, in other words, present, all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. He's going to run everything through Christ. Christ. What does Jesus think of this? And I don't believe what this means is that he looked at every earthly thing as having no value. It's just a process of him comparing and prioritizing. Very similar to when Jesus said, unless you hate your mother, your father, etc., you can't be my disciple. We know Jesus wasn't saying, go hate on your relatives. He was just stretching us so that we could Stretch that gap between our love for God and our love for earth. So he from now on would say, Christ will be my mark. I'll compare my love, my giving, my forgiveness, not to others, but to Christ. My service, my humility, my prayers, my obedience, not to others, but to Christ. Paul spent years poring over the writings of Matthew, Mark Luke and John looking through them to say, what did Jesus say? I want to know what he said, and I want to know how he responded. And I'm sure, because he already knew the Old Testament so well, I'm sure he was saying, I can't believe I didn't see that he was the Messiah. Everything, in other words, in his life would be assessed or compared to Christ, and that is gain. Fourthly, and ever since he began a dumping process, Look at verse 8, the second part. He says, For whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. So we're going to do a little trash talking with you here for a few moments. I don't believe what he's saying here is that he dumped living. Meeting Christ didn't mean for him to disconnect from people or society and live like a monk. What he did was he brought Christ-likeness into his everyday life, into the things that he said, into the way that he responded. I also don't believe here when he says it counted all rubbish that he became a minimalist. I've been looking into what a minimalist is lately, you know, living on very few things. So I don't think that because of what he says in chapter 4, that he learned to live on less. He could live in poverty and he could live with abundance And be content either way. Those weren't going to control his joy. But he did dump his past by considering it rubbish. Rubbish, what is that? We don't use that word for usually it's uh, garbage or, or trash. King James Version uses dung, excrement, in other words. So he considered that rubbish. Rubbish is something that was useful, but not anymore. Once valued. Maybe once used for good or maybe bad, but now no longer satisfies. But once something is determined as rubbish, it should go. It shouldn't be stored. It it stinks. It starts to rot. It takes up space. It keeps others away. Pride is rubbish. Pride keeps God and others away. It distorts our path. Bitterness is rubbish. It also will keep God and others away and will distort our path. Mistakes and sins maybe the ones that you thought were gain when you partied or when you used or when you indulged. Now you see the truth and you see Christ and you see what good is and you look at that and you feel ashamed. We're to dump it. You can't forget it, but you can consider it forgiven. If there's any way to make anything that you've done right, then make it right and do that well. It's real easy for any of us in here to say, looking at Paul's list and saying, my list doesn't look like that at all. There were a lot of bad things that I couldn't control. I was abandoned. I, I was abused. I was, I was neglected. Or there were things that I did control. I, I rebelled or I ran or I just indulged in revenge. He's saying, take it to Christ and to dump it because Christ laid down his life for us. He's always known what we've done. He always has known who we are and invites us to him. We have value to God now and forever, no matter the past. You aren't trash. You have trash." And so it's time to dump it. Christianity doesn't seek to qualify us. Christianity seeks to redeem us. And there's plenty of believers that our past comes up to us, either just comes to our mind or others maybe bring it up. And it can be discouraging. We can lose joy easily in that. But great joy in believers comes not because... They didn't do wrong or because they can forget It's they know what Christ did to forgive them and to redeem them and they process it in that way I once was lost but now I'm found so Christians don't need a bragging session at all we need a bagging session and we need to take the trash out so after Paul became a believer what he did was he got help He began a counting process, a comparing process, a dumping process. And then number five, ever since then, he began a telling process, just like we're seeing here in chapter three. He started by telling his past to God. That's a great place to start dealing with your past. It's not because God doesn't know your past. It's just good for us to learn to verbalize it. To one who is true and one who knows it all. Say it back to him so we don't stuff it. Or tell it to someone else. And I'm sure the version that is told here so precisely in chapter 3 is different than the first versions as he told about his story. You know, early on, I'm sure he was sore about some of the things that he had done. In fact, when he started to speak about what Christ had done in his life, there were people who didn't believe him. When he said, I, now I'm a believer. I know I was putting people into prison, but now I'm one of you. i been a lot of people said, nah, you got to prove that to me. So I want to also say a disclaimer that I'm not advocating that when you talk about your past or tell your story that you blurt all the details. Or in any way say all these bad things to somehow boast in them. Use wisdom with love to cover But you know, sometimes when we rehearse our story, and we use the filter of telling it to Christ or to others, it can help actually make the story be a little bit more accurate. (laughs) We look back, and we realize that we aren't the big shots that we thought we were. We realize that the gains that we thought we had were just really propped up pride. I know that I've looked back and examining through Christ, I realized that I was the villain in the story. And those villains were really the heroes. Sometimes I look back and I think, I wish I could go back and rescue them. I've held them as the villain all these years. Or injustice, maybe that was meant to destroy us. In Christ, I can see how it can better me and how I can use it to serve So sometimes we learn to tell our story through the filter of Christ. Instead of being a secret that we bury, it can be a shovel to unbury someone hopelessly suffocating in that same past. And number six, ever since then, he began a helping process. Because people need help to process their past. And what basically I'm saying is don't get in the way. Because a process needs to go on. Make sure we don't get in that way by judging others that they don't process their past as fast or as well as we have done. There's a lot of pain in this room. And I'm sure there are people here that feel frozen by the things of your past. Or maybe there's just certain areas you can't seem to get by. We need to be a help. A part of helping people. We need to be an Ananias that God can send people to to help them process. You know, sometimes we've been called here at Grace the Feel Good Church. <laughs> kind of like that old song. You remember that song? I Feel Good. That was lame, wasn't it? <laughs> really lame. But, you know, sometimes, in fact, I just last week saw someone here in our church. They were singing so joyfully. They were so into the music. And I knew the struggle that they're going through and have been going through. And it'd be so easy for someone to come in here and think, oh, this is a feel-good church where people come, you know, have all this, this lively music, basically to just feel good about themselves or to drown out their sorrows. But when you know what someone is dealing with, I look at that person and I thought, that's a person." Who is processing their past and their current circumstances by rejoicing in the Lord? They come in and participate. And see, here's the thing when you come to grace, yeah, you might hear some music and the music encourages us and so forth, but sometimes the message hurts. But people know this is what they're doing when they say, I'm following Christ. I got a tough past to work through. I got a lot of burdens and issues right now to deal with. Here, where we teach and preach from the Word. Sometimes it's painful. There's a lot of people having to get over things, work through habits. Maybe even religion was one of the things they're struggling most over and causing them a lot of struggle. Paul ever since kind of looked at, I'm going to use my story to be a help to others. That's why he starts the chapter that way. I'm not going to boast. I'm going to help people. You know, deconstructing the past in Christ leads us to some realities that we can't change the past, that we can't count on the past, and we can't compare the past to the things that God can do through our lives. So many times people come in to see us as pastors and they share all these things that are going on, share how they're struggling and they've lost hope. They have convinced themselves and they work at convincing me that there is no help. But I have seen them do these kind of things as we point them into things that can help them process the past. I have seen them turn their past into something that doesn't identify them, doesn't control them, And doesn't enslave him to the glory of God. Paul goes on to say, And ever since when Christ came into my life, he summarizes this all in verse 9. And he says that I may be found when God looks at me, when others look at me, with my achievements or my failures... May I be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So, today, may I invite you today to come to Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, to have his righteousness and not your own. Maybe it's possible that you've been building your own form of blamelessness to present to God when it comes to these thoughts. You say, you know something, God, I am a pretty good person, and it would do you good to just accept me in. Or maybe you've been led by things you've been taught, that if you just be a good person, it'll all work out. God's God's just going to accept that. And you have put confidence in your flesh. I want to invite you to Christ today. Because we can only be blameless in the righteousness of Christ. Can I also encourage Christians today to these processes that we're talking about. That you would seek help to grow. That you would be help to help others grow. That you would stay under the teaching of the word or maybe get more involved in that or seek a group, or work at getting counseling, but that you would allow Christ to use your story for his glory because your ashes can be beautiful. There are many storytellers here at Grace, many who have trusted Christ and ever since have been working on these processes to bring healing in their life and for God to use their story for his good. And that's an unshakable Next week, Pastor Kevin will be back. He will be teaching the rest of Chapter 3. There's still more to say about this story. And he's going to talk about that pressing forward. So I want to encourage you to come back next week. Could we bow our heads and have prayer together? Father, I just ask that you would help us today. And I want to thank you, first of all, Lord, for Christ. I want to thank you that we have access to learn of his story and even to study this here in Philippians about Paul and his story. And I pray, Father, that if there's any here today, hearing what you have said, how we can be blameless because of Christ, I pray that anyone here today would trust you with that and ask you to forgive them and be their Lord and Savior. I pray for Christians here struggling with the past. Not being able to get over things. Not knowing what to do about some very complicated things. I pray, Lord, for each of us to work on the process. Get the help we need. Submit these things and experience the unshakable joy that you have for us. So, Father, we're going to give you glory because you deserve it. And I thank you for everyone that's here today. And we praise your name. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here today. You have a great day. And God bless you.